Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Shall we just dig into the Bible and see what else God wants to do amongst us? Um, I'm just going to start straight into our passage, I think. So if you've got a Bible, please will you turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, starting at verse 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us, and we pray that you would speak to us now. Amen. Thank you so much, Chris and Denise. I just, yeah, I, every time I look at you guys, every time I hear your story, I'm just overwhelmed again at the power of hope. And what we want to, what we want to think about today is linked to that hope. And we want to think about the presence of God and particularly the presence of God as it appears to Moses in the form of fire. And over the last little while, Adam and I have been, we've been praying and thinking and dreaming about this church and this season that we're going to be stepping into together. And we have found ourselves really camped out in this scripture in Exodus 3. And and we really think that there's something in that for us as a congregation and for us as a people. And we find ourselves asking, what would it look like? to be a people who are radically defined by the fire, by the presence of God. And there are six things that I just keep coming back to that I think are significant for us. My preachers are traditionally allowed three things. And this is a preacher who has started late in the service, and I have got six, so I can only apologize. But all I can say is let's just strap in and go for it. Because these six things, I really feel like if we've got ears to hear, the Lord wants to say to us today. So we're going to rattle through them. It's going to be a bit fast, but you're going to stay with me. So firstly, it is supernatural. The presence of God, the fire of God is supernatural. Now, bushfires were common in this region at this time. 
And Moses in his work as a shepherd walking through the desert, he would no doubt have seen many of them. But this fire was not natural. It was supernatural because it wasn't obeying the normal rules of science and of nature and of fire. It was causing the bush to be on fire but not burn up and not be consumed. And so what we know from that is that the presence of God shows up in a way that is miraculous, that breaks the usual laws that govern our world. The presence of God is supernatural. Number two, the presence of God is fascinating and attractive. It catches Moses' eye and it draws his attention. It causes him to stop what he's doing and to go over and look at it. I will go over, he says, and see this strange sight. The presence of God is attractive. Number three, the presence of God is sacred. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. The presence of God is sacred. You can't step into that presence without taking off your shoes. In other words, we've got to take off that which is dirty, that which is impure, and recognize the holiness that is before us. The presence of God is sacred. Number four, it is compassionate. I have indeed seen the misery, God says. You know, it's easy, I think, in the midst of suffering to assume that the presence of God must be somewhere really far away, right? Must be somewhere distant and far off. And, and, and he says, in the midst of this suffering, I have seen it. I have heard their cries. You know how close you have to be to someone to see their sorrows, to see their pain and to hear their cries. He says, I have indeed seen and I have heard. The presence of God is compassionate. Number five, it is redemptive. See, God doesn't just hear their sorrows. He doesn't just hear their cries. He doesn't just know the misery. His compassion leads to their redemption. He says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to sort it out. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to rescue them. The presence of God is redemptive. And number six, the presence of God marks people with hope. And Chris and Denise have more to say about this than probably most of us in this room. A life marked with hope. I'm going to rescue them, God says, and I'm going to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. As a kid, I used to hear that milk and honey thing and think, that's weird. I quite like milk. I quite like honey. I don't really get what the big deal is. But this land flowing with milk and honey, I mean, I'm sure you all worked this out as kids and I was just a bit dim at the time. But, but milk and honey, milk meaning there was going to be um, animals, that it was going to be fruitful and fertile. Honey meaning there was going to be plants, there was going to be vegetation. You're all like, yeah, obviously I know that. It's, it, I looked it up. <laughs> I had to look it up this week. I was like, what's that milk and honey thing? Um, but God, he marks them with hope, right? He says, I've seen you. I'm going to rescue you. And then I'm going to bring you to this place that is fertile and abundant and full of good things. So they become a people who are marked out by the hope of what is to come. The presence of God marks us with hope. 
Does anyone remember those six? Yes. Come on. Front row. He's taking notes. He's on it. Okay. So we're going to hear them again in just a moment. But what I want to ask us today, if those six things are what marks out the presence of God, if that's what the presence of God looks like in the earth, what does all this mean for us as a church? Well, where else do we see the presence of God showing up as a fire in Scripture? That wasn't rhetorical. I'm asking anyone, can anyone think of another time when fire... Come on. We're all becoming Pentecostals in the process of shouting Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, the presence of God comes again in fire. Let's read this really quickly. Acts 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The supernatural, strangely attractive, sacred, compassionate, redemptive, and hope-filled fire of God that was once observed by Moses at a distance in the desert is now resting on people, on us, on the church we, friends, are now that burning bush, that supernatural, strangely attractive, sacred, compassionate, redemptive, hope-filled sign to the world around us that this is what God is like. That bush that burned in the desert to reveal the presence of God to Moses is now millions of burning ones all over the planet Given the task of revealing the beautiful presence of God, we are the burning bush of the New Testament. And the call on us as a church is not to just gather together and be some enormous bonfire. Each of us is called to carry this light, this warmth into the desert and say, this is what he's like. This is what the presence of God looks like in the world. And, you know, it is my dream for us here at Emmaus that we will be a community that is not good at going to church, but is really good at being the church, taking this fire of God and scattering it in every corner of the earth that doesn't know about Jesus. The wildfire of God scattered throughout the city of Guildford and and so thinking about those six things that mark out the presence of God, what does that mean for us? Well, firstly, it means we are a supernatural people. We believe that God is upon us, within us, amongst us. And this means that the rules of nature, the rules of how the world normally works are going to get broken every now and again. Some of us are going to get show up and we're going to get healed miraculously. Others of us are going to see miracles breaking out in their place of work. People coming to know Jesus, prophetic words being unleashed. We're going to see the world start to behave how it normally does not. When we walk into the room carrying this supernatural fire. See, we are not here for a book club right? We're not here for a book club to study some old book that we all really like. And we're not here for a social club to study each other because we really like each other. I mean, hopefully we do. 
But we're not just like philosophers or philanthropists. We are a people of encounter. And this is a place of encounter. I want us to carry that expectation when we walk into this room, you guys. That we are a supernatural people. We believe in encounter. And what does it look like to be a people who go after this? Well, in the King James Version of this passage, Exodus 3 verse 3 reads like this. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Moses turned aside. And you know, my longing for us here at Emmaus is that we would be a people who turn aside. God, what are you doing in the room? God, where are you at work? Where are you moving? That when the presence shows up amongst us, we would turn aside. That we would not be too busy or too preoccupied, but that we would turn aside. That we would not be too directional or too distracted, but that we would turn aside. My little, um, my little girl, Thea, she's, um, she was up here dancing earlier. You might have seen her. She was wearing a princess dress with super superhero leggings and ballet shoes or something like that which I think just defines her personality better than I could but Thea she's a force and we're walking along the other day we were in this beautiful spot the sea was next to us we were gathering collecting daisies and wildflowers and we're walking along and suddenly out of nowhere she stops dead in her tracks and goes mom stop the way that only a kind of bossy three-year-olds can do that urgency right mom stop I need to tell God something and, I, and she tilts her little head up to the sky and she says God this is amazing thank you and then she carries on her little way and my first thought was we need to give these kids workers a raise <laughs> like, like this is something is going in this is great but my second thought was like how often do I turn aside? Like I'm always just on my way somewhere. But Moses, he stopped. He turned aside. And my longing for us is that when God shows up in our midst, we would be the people who turn aside. We would pause our regularly scheduled programming to make space for supernatural interruptions. That we would have eyes to see and ears to see what God is doing and saying amongst us. My friend Brian grew up in East Belfast, and um, it's close to where I grew up, and the culture at home is very much built around cakes. If you've ever traveled uh, throughout Northern Ireland, you will know this. We're very passionate about cakes and hospitality. And Brian used to go, he had a couple of brothers, and they used to get invited out a lot to people's houses, and often what happens in Northern Ireland when you go to someone's house for dinner is they'll put the cakes somewhere on site and they'll serve you up your dinner, but the cakes will be there and you can see them. Brian and his brothers, of course, there's always the good cake, right? And then there's the subpar cake. So Brian and his brothers, they decided that they, <laughs> their strategy in order to be able to claim the best cake was that when they arrived at the dinner, they would pick a cake they wanted and they would lick it, just so that their brothers could see. As soon as the horse wasn't looking, they would lick the cake they wanted, and this was so that they could then get the good cake. So they used to do this. They used to do some other naughty things, like, you know, when someone, like, pinches a sausage off your plate, like, all that kind of stuff. 
they were a little bit rogue. And so they would go to these dinner parties and they would be misbehaving. But Brian said his dad began to cotton on to the cake licking <laughs> and obviously wasn't a fan of this behavior. And he said his dad, who was a very quiet and measured man, but he, he, he ruled with a very silent method and he would just go like this. Just one little cough. The hosts had no idea, but the sons, as soon as they heard that, <clears throat> they were like, okay, dad spotted. <laughs> and they would go back to behaving better. And, and Brian says that when he thinks of that cough, he thinks of heaven and he thinks of walking about his day and being a person who just is tuned into that little <clears throat> from heaven. And not because God's like, stop licking cakes, <laughs> but because God's like, look at what is in front of you. Look at what I have for you. Look at what I'm doing in the room. Will you turn aside? Moses said, I will go over and see this strange sight. And when he went over, God called to him from within the bush. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's only when Moses turns aside that God starts to speak. I wonder how many of us, we go through seasons where we feel like we desperately would love to hear the voice of God. But if we're honest, we haven't really turned aside yet. It's only when he turns aside that God starts to talk. God desires and deserves our attention, our gaze. And when we give it to him, I think he begins to speak. So how can we be this people of encounter who turn aside and begin to see the supernatural presence of God break into our lives? I think that one thing that we can do is to situate ourselves in the proximity of the presence. When Moses encounters the burning bush, he's at the base of Mount Horeb, otherwise named as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. This is a place that is associated with the presence of God. And I think showing up here on a Sunday, this is a great way of situating ourselves in the presence of God, amongst the people of God. It was hard, wasn't it, in lockdown? It was really hard. Like online church was a great provision for that time. But for 2,000 years under the threat of death, the church has gathered together because the presence of God shows up when the people of God are together. And it is so good to be back here again. And I long that now that we're back here, that we would walk in and we would expect that, right? Like we're coming to the place of proximity of his presence. He is with us throughout the week. He's with us everywhere we go. But there is something special about the presence that when we gather, it's like gathering at the base of the mountain. We can expect God to show up. Now, there's some disagreement amongst scholars as to whether Moses had positioned himself there on purpose or whether he had just followed the sheep and wandered and ended up there. But I think kind of either way, there's a sort of a strange comfort to that, isn't there? That even if Moses had just accidentally stumbled upon Sinai, that God shows up anyway. And maybe today you came here ready and looking and wanting an encounter with God, but maybe today you came here slightly on autopilot. Like maybe just like Moses, the sheep just wandered in this direction. Like it just was, it was just autopilot. Maybe you came out of habit or duty or to please your spouse or your kids. There wasn't that same intentionality or desire. 
But however you ended up here this morning, there's an opportunity for encounter. Moses finds himself in proximity to the presence. And when God turns up, he chooses to turn aside and listen. What will you do today if God shows up? The next time we read about Moses visiting this same spot of Mount Sinai, he is given the Ten Commandments, the rule of life which becomes the foundation for countless civil societies. He may not have known what he was doing this first time at the burning bush, but you better believe he knew what he was doing the second Right, you better believe he showed up with that expectation. This is the place of proximity to the presence. What would it look like every time we come in here on a Sunday morning to show up with that expectation? That something of the fire of God might catch our eye this morning. We're on number two. This isn't a good sign, but don't worry, I'm going to rattle through these next ones. Don't worry. So number one, we're supernatural people. Number two, we're an attractive people. We are, aren't we? I mean, look at us. We're an attractive people. When Moses sees the fire within the bush, he's attracted to it because it is not behaving how a bush should. There's something different and fascinating going on, and it causes him to turn aside. And for us here at Emmaus, we have a calling to reach our city. And we want to leave here and be scattered and see salvation and transformation. So we're called to live lives that don't make sense. Chris and Denise, you guys do not make sense. Right? You see them and you see life and joy and wholeness. And that doesn't make sense. And that's so strangely attractive to people who don't know why, who don't know what the hope is. What is the life source for living that way? Why has she made that decision? Why has he done that with his money? Why are they dating that way? What, what is the reason for this strange and attractive lifestyle? When I was a, a university student, we used to run 24-7 prayer um, right in the middle of town. And we used to run it in this cold, like freezing cold room in the back room of a church. And I went to St. Andrews in Scotland where it's just really cold all the time anyways. And, um, and we used to run this little prayer room, night and day prayer, night and day prayer. And so many times when we were running these prayer weeks, I would be out, as you do as a student, you're at a party of some sort, at a house party or out somewhere. It would get to like 2 a.m. or quarter to 2 and I'd be like, sorry guys, I've got to go. And everyone's like, oh, you're going to bed, that's lame. I'm like, no, actually, I have an appointment that I have to get to. <laughs> People are like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> two in the morning what is this appointment and you're like I'm actually I'm going to pray and I cannot tell you how many times the response to that was where are you going and can I come with you because it's so strangely attractive like I get that you would you know I get Sunday morning church you know it's a bit of a drag and then you're home for your roast it's fine I get that 2 a.m walking to a freezing church in the middle of town I don't what have you found in there what is going on in there and can I come with you and I promise you time and again people will come they'd walk into that room at 2 a.m and encounter the fire of God because there's something strangely attractive about what we have found. We're an attractive people. Three, we have a fear of the Lord. 
Take off your shoes, God says. The ground is holy. Elsewhere in the Bible, he says, be holy because I am holy. We are called to be set apart. We are called to a higher moral and ethical standard. I'm going to say this. I think we exist in a culture right now that desires the spiritual but despises the sacred. I think we exist in a culture that loves a spirituality that offers something, some peace, some moment of enlightenment, some transcendence. But the way of Jesus is a holiness that doesn't only offer something, it also costs everything. Be holy, he says. See, the sacred, it calls for sacrifice. Take off your shoes. Like what? The, God calls upon us to take off those things that are impure. He absolutely loves you just as you are, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. We're called to the way of sacrifice, to holiness. We're people who pursue purity. Number four, we are compassionate people. God says, I have seen the misery. And, you know, being a people of presence in this world, we are called to see the misery, right? To know the sorrows that people are walking through. This is why prayer ministry is so crucial. This is why pastoral ministry is so crucial. At our food bank in Woking, I just heard last week that people aren't taking potatoes. They're not taking potatoes home from the food bank because it takes half an hour to boil a potato and that's too much power, it's too expensive. And that's, I'm not okay with that. And, and we are called to be a compassionate people. We're called to, to see and to hear the sorrows that people have and to meet them in that place. But number five, we are not just a compassionate people. We don't just care. We also offer redemption. We're a redeemed people. And we are here in the world to say we have found redemption, we find salvation, and we're here to offer our Redeemer to everyone. We want you to meet him. Come to Alpha, come and meet him. And so we're going to be a community that is not good at going to church, but good at being the church, engaging with the sorrows of the world and offering real-time solutions, practical social care and transformation as well as the salvation that comes from knowing Jesus. We are all about redemption. And finally, we're coming into land. Number six, for this reason, we are people of hope. Our hope in the kingdom is that one day, the presence and the power of God is coming to set all of this right, that we can encounter something here and now, but that there is more to come. I said at the beginning that the unusual sight that stopped Moses in his tracks and caused him to turn aside, it was not that the bush was burning. It was that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. See, here's the thing about walking in hope. It enables us to walk through fire and not be consumed. It allows us to live above our circumstances, in the midst of our circumstances. That hope transforms us from the inside out. So we are the people who are not consumed. I want to just finish by um, reading from Acts chapter 16. And then we really are come to land. 
Because in this story, I think we see the presence paradigm playing out. We see this burning bush of the New Testament in the characters of Paul and Silas. And they've been put in jail. And this is not a nice jail if such a thing exists. This is a horrible jail where they are sat in the deepest, darkest room of the prison. It's pitch dark. They're in their own filth, sores on their backs from being whipped. And this was their response. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I mean, of course they were, right? What a strangely attractive response to suffering. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We're supernatural people. Earthquakes are going to happen around us. And we live with that expectation. I want to live more out of that reality that miracles are going to follow wherever I go. Get ready for earthquakes. We're strange and fascinating and attractive people. We sing in the midst of our prisons. And we're called to live in life in such a way that it begs the question and causes those around us to listen in. Where are you going to be strangely attractive this week? We have a fear of the Lord. We prioritize worship no matter what, even in our chains. And there's something fearful about heaven's response to God's children being locked up. This earthquake happens. What might God ask you to take off this week? Because you're on holy ground. And we're compassionate. Paul sees the jailer's agony and says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. What sorrow do you need to hear this week and be that listening ear? And number five, we're not only compassionate but redemptive. The jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? How can I have what you have? And finally, we're a people of hope. We know that the land of milk and honey is coming. And even if we can't see it right now, we are not consumed Rather, we are the ones who, when it is midnight in our lives and things have never seemed worse, we find our croaky, hoarse voices picking the melody of worship, and we are not consumed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. And God, I want to ask that you would mark us out as a people of the presence in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. That, um, holy moly, <laughs> that was, am I allowed to say flipping? That was flipping amazing, wasn't it? I feel like we could have had six weeks, a week on each of those things. Maybe we will one day, and that should definitely be a book. Um, that's a word, I think. Um, why don't we stand? There was literally so much uh, in that, and in record time, as super clear without sp- being super fast. So it was amazing. Thank you, Hannah. Um, you know, the thing that really—I was just going to say—the thing that really struck me was, you know, we live in a culture that 
wants the spiritual but doesn't want the sacred. And I thought, wow, oh my goodness, that is like nail on head. And um, I don't know where you are on your sort of journey of faith, if you have a faith even. Um, but I think there are moments where actually it is like, you know, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And I feel like this is, you know, we're in that kind of season at, at the moment. And I, I just want to ask a question, which is, and Hannah already asked it, what are you going to let go of this week? How are you going to be different this week? I, I don't know about you, I want to be strangely attractive, I want to be holy. I, don't, I like the idea of being holy, but I, I don't like sometimes what it costs. What, are the th- what is the one thing that you know in your life you just need to, this morning, give to Jesus, say you're sorry, and ask for his help? Because you, we are never going to get holy just by self-effort. It's not going to happen. It's just you know, we need his help, and we need each other's help. It doesn't mean we've all got deep, dark secrets, you know, and, but we've all got something. Maybe it's the, the language that we use. Maybe it's the things that we watch maybe it's the company we keep maybe it's the things that we choose to say maybe it's the things we choose not to say that you will know what it is and this i'm not here to guilt trip you but i'm here to encourage you to step into the presence to let it go so what we're going to do is um we're gonna think about that one thing we're going to hold out our hands because that's like a body language is important. It's a picture of surrender. If you if you're here and you just you don't know what is going on and you don't even know who Jesus is, I just want to tell you this: Jesus knows you, He sees you, He loves you, passionately, relentlessly knows everything about you. He's not here to ruin your life. He's here to change your life. Come on, Alpha, they'd love to see you. So we're going to hold out our hands. And I'm going to pray. And then Joel is going to lead us in a a song. Lord, we hear that word about living in a culture where everyone wants to be spiritual, but people don't want to be sacred. And Lord, we know that one of the things that makes us strangely attractive as individuals and as a church family is holiness. So Lord, as we hold out our hands, we offer you as our offering, as our part of our worship this morning, that thing, that one thing this week that we know we need to let go of. It may be a big thing. It may be a small thing. It's all things. You died for them all. Would you come and would you set us free? Would you come with your fire and would you purify us? Make us new.